0: So let's go to, let's see, where are we up to? 346, okay, there we go. All obligations regarding spiritual impurity thus no longer apply to us since we are in the diaspora, which is a spiritually impure environment. Moreover, we constantly come in contact with graves, creeping animals, lepers, people who have had abnormal discharges, corpses, and so on. So therefore, they're no longer, they're no longer applicable. In a similar vein, carrion is forbidden to us, right? An animal who dies without getting slaughtered properly, but not because of its spiritual impurity. As one might think from the text, rather there is a distinct commandment prohibiting its consumption. The fact that one becomes spiritually impure through eating carrion is a completely separate law, two separate prohibitions associated with carrion. Were it not for the fact, as the sages say, that Ezra decreed that one who has had a seminal discharge must immerse himself, we would not have been obligated by the Torah to immerse. His decree therefore was simply for the purpose of purity and cleanliness. There is nothing wrong if the Karaites also accept this practice for themselves for the sake of cleanliness, provided that they do not consider a Torah law. But if they do, then their wisdom is their foolishness. They are changing the Torah and causing apostasy. By this I mean a diversity of beliefs. This individualistic mode of interpretation is the root cause of a nation's destruction and its departure from one teaching and one law, okay? Anything that we do that appears to be a leniency by comparison with the Karaites, such as our use of an eruf to carry from one house to another on the Sabbath, one may feel that it is inappropriate, but it is far less harmful than what the Karaites' thinking leads to. And so they say on the bottom, I was wondering what the Karaites are going to do. The verse that we use to uh, understand that you're not allowed to carry is a verse that says, al yeyze ish mikomo, a man should not leave his place on the seventh day, Beowulf Shabbos. Now, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean, don't leave your place? So the Karaites understood, at some point at least, to mean that no one was permitted to leave his home on the Sabbath. You have to stay home the whole Sabbath. That was a very literal understanding, it makes sense. It will end up with so much discord and heresy to the point where you'll be able to find 10 people in one household with 10 different opinions. For us, if the commandments were not circumscribed by inviolable, Boundaries. We would have no guarantee against something foreign entering and corrupting the law or against a portion of the law being omitted. This is what happens when a commandment is interpreted by one's own logic and reasoning. The Karaites are quite lenient in deriving benefit from silver, gold, incense, and wine that was used for idolatry. When in reality one is better off dead than living with these things, right? And they quote on the bottom: how do we know this? The Talmud teaches that if you have the option. Of healing yourself, you're allowed to do anything to heal yourself. You're allowed to eat pig, right? You're allowed to do anything. However, you're not allowed to derive benefit from the Asherah tree, from a tree that was used for idol worship, even if that means that that will save your life. You're still not allowed to do that because, as we know, as we know, you don't you don't have to be concerned for anything when it comes to saving a life other than the three cardinal sins. On the other hand, they're very stringent that one should not derive any benefit from a pig, even if it is needed for a medicinal cure. The reality, however, is that eating pig is one of the minor offenses for which one receives only lashes. And so he's trying to illustrate. We're not trying to prove the veracity of the Oral Torah. He's just trying to illustrate the terrible, the detrimental effects of relying only on the written Torah without recognizing that the Oral Torah is supreme. Similarly, the Karais permit a Nazar, the Nazarite, to eat raisins and grapes, while they prohibit him from drinking alcohol made from honey or apples. The truth is just the opposite, as the Nazarite prohibitions extend only to products of the wine. The purpose of the prohibition is not to prevent intoxication, as one might think, right? Because if it was, then you and, and Nazar would not be able to drink any whiskey. Rather, God, along with his prophets and chosen ones, knows the real reason for the prohibition. Nor is it reasonable to assert that the transmitters of our tradition. And its commentators misunderstood the true meaning of the word sheikhar, right? It says in the Torah, they're not allowed to, last week's Torah portion, that another is not allowed to drink sheikhar. And that drink was, the word is being used as sheikhar. What does the sheikhar mean? So they knew very well what the sheikhar was, because that word was quite clear and well known to them. Their tradition was that wine and sheikhar in the context of Kohanim included all alcoholic beverages. But in the context of the Nazarite's prohibition, it meant nothing else but a beverage derived from the grape. And the reason being for is that the Kowei's prohibition is based on the fact that when he goes into the temple, he can't come in in a way in which he's not, uh, it's disrespectful to Hashem to come in, in a way in which he is um showing, you know, because he's drunk, that's not respectful. So therefore it doesn't make a difference what caused you to become drunk. But the context of the Nazir is very specific. It's about even eating grapes that, of course, have nothing to do with intoxication. So you already see that the prohibition is not solely related to um. To, to, uh, you know, to alcohol, it's related to something related to do with grapes, specifically, maybe because grapes have the ability to cause someone to get drunk, but not solely, because if it was solely, then grapes by themselves would be permitted. All the commandments are defined by very precise boundaries that were instituted with wisdom. Many times the parameters of the laws do not seem to result in appropriate practice. When this is the case, the devout person will distance themselves from even the permissible practice, while still recognizing that the act is not prohibited okay so the halacha is like this there are often times where someone who is a pious person does not do things that are technically permitted right what we say is he's the you shall make yourself holy by refraining from things that are actually permitted an example of this is the meat of the kais kais the halacha is like this an animal is, is close to death but it, it, not, it does not actually have a, a specific symptom that would render it to die within a year. The halacha is that if an animal has certain types of conditions that will cause it to die within the year, then you're not allowed to eat that animal. It's considered to be a trefa. You're not allowed to eat it, Okay, even if you slaughter it properly. However, this animal it doesn't have any of the specific conditions that would lead it to die within the year. It does, however, we know it's going to be dying very shortly. And you are allowed to hurry up and slaughter the animal before it dies, and then the meat will be kosher. That being said, this animal may be eaten, since we do not know for certain that it will die, for all we know it may recover, and on that basis it is permitted. An animal, which is trefa, on the other hand, may appear completely healthy and yet is still prohibited. This is because the trefa has a disease which will certainly kill the animal. There is no way that it will survive or recover from it, and on that basis it is prohibited. Logic and reasoning would dictate that the law should be reversed, right? In other words if you were to say listen we all have a disease that we're going to die from right it's called the human condition right it is nature that we all are going to die that doesn't cause animals to become tref- oh no, no animals kosher because they're all going to die one day no it's very specific halacha. if an animal is going to die within the next year because there are certain specific physiological conditions then it's considered a trefa and the animal is going to die in the next minute but it doesn't have any of those physiological conditions it's to after shita, right this is not necessarily logical and therefore, do not follow your own logic and reason when determining the details of the commandments, lest you fall into a quagmire of doubts which will bring you to apostasy. Furthermore, your opinion will never match your friend's view because each person has his own perspective. You would then end up with a religion of one adherent. Rather, you need to investigate the roots of each law based on the tradition and texts of the Torah. Where does it sound so familiar to us from? This is exactly what Rav Hirsch kept on emphasizing, the importance of when you're trying to understand the Torah, it always has to be based on the tradition and texts of the Torah. Use the methods of derivation that are part of our tradition. And in this way, you will ensure that derivative laws are similar to their principal laws. Whatever conclusions this process brings you to, accept them and believe them, even if they seem far from your own logic and reasoning. Okay? This is something which we're going to expand upon tomorrow night, Bezer session.